How you guys doing? Good. Uh, my name is Jamie, and uh, I'm the assistant pastor here, one of the assistant pastors, and I want to welcome you guys to church tonight. Uh, can we give a hand to our team for leading us? Uh, South Campus, you can also give your team a hand. Thanks to John and Leah and the team at South Campus for leading there as well. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. If, if you're new or you're visiting, we would love uh, to kind of connect with you guys, to meet you guys. Uh, there are those red cards in the seat in front of you, and we'd love for you to fill those out so we can just see kind of who's visiting, who's new, uh, and we can say hello to whoever. Uh, are you guys doing all right? Yeah. You're doing good. That's a good thing because I think, I'm fairly certain that you're about to get a lot better uh, because you are about to hear the Word of God. Not from me, okay, but, but from God. Uh, I don't want you to be excited because I'm up here. You're probably not excited at all because I'm up here uh, because I don't know if you've been here the last like five or six weeks, but um, Pastor Mark has been throwing some heat, like some really, really good stuff. And last week... Uh, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we started a new series, uh, only a two-week series called Grow Beyond Sunday. And last week, and if, if you missed, please go online, crosspointchurch.ca, and find the sermon. It was just absolutely incredible and so encouraging to your faith. And so I hope that you can go back and watch that and catch up because uh, some of what I say today may not make a whole lot of sense without last week's, but uh, we are going to all learn something together in God's Word today. Uh, so if you do have a Bible or if you need to open your phone to your Bible, uh, go to Luke 24. We're going to be there in a few minutes. Um, so last week, what Mark talked about, just as a, a little reminder, is that we talked about what it means to grow in your faith and what it means to be spiritually mature. And now we're all in different places in our spiritual walk with Christ. And here's the thing, it is your responsibility to take care of your walk with Christ, amen? It's, it's not the church's or the staff's responsibility for you to grow in your faith. Now, we come and we gather on Saturday nights and we gather on Sunday mornings, we get together for weekend experiences here at Cross Point. But as soon as you step out the four walls of this building, or you step out of the four walls of theater number two at Cineplex, it's your job to feed yourself. Grab a fork. Don't starve yourself of God's word and what God wants for you, right? You guys all tracking with me? And so uh, that was so important for us to hear, is that it is your job and your responsibility to grow in your faith. But Here's the catch, is that you cannot grow in Christ without the body of Christ. You, 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 you cannot grow in your, 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 your faith with Jesus without the church, without people around you. You have to do faith for yourself, but you cannot do your faith by yourself. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about community. Now, when I look at the word community, there's something I see, and I see two words. I see the word come, which is kind of what we talked about last week. To come is the work that you put in to your faith. It's the responsibility. It's a, it's a physical verb of movement. You need to go to God. You need to go and feed yourself. 
But the other part of the word community is that word unity, where we do this together as a church, where, where you surround yourself with people. You surround yourself with, with a group or a connect group or uh, some people. You surround yourself with people who can breathe into your life and speak into your life that you can do life with. That is what community is. It is your responsibility. You have to do faith for yourself, but you can't do it by yourself. Are we all right so far? That's what community means to me, and that's what I think God is going to tell us from his word what community is. You cannot grow in Christ without the body of Christ. When I was in university, I had a plant. I had a plant that I tried to keep alive. And if I can't keep a ficus alive for two weeks, I'm not going to do a great job of, of keeping your life growing in faith. And so while it is your responsibility, it's also my responsibility and our responsibility to help one another grow in our faith. At the beginning of summer, uh, my wife Catherine and I were a very, uh, we are a proud couple, but I mean like Jesus proud. We were proud because we were the last family on Lombardy Lane that were still physically pushing our own snow. We were the last family on our street that were actually using the ancient artifacts called shovels. Everybody else had a snowblower. Everybody. And so the hum at 6.30 in the morning would wake us up because they're all in tandem, just house by house by house. They've all got their snowblowers just getting rid of all the snow on their driveways. But we were proud because we were the last family standing. And we would get our kids in on the action and get free child labor. And we would do it as a family, and it was the only physical activity I ever had in the winter. And so I would finish shoveling that thing, and I'd be like, man, I had my exercise for all the winter. I'm good. Let me keep hibernating and keeping myself warm. And so we were quite proud of the fact that we were the last family without a snowblower. And we, we could, we'd be all right with keeping it that way. And later that day, when we finished... Um, shoveling our driveway, my wife just happened to put a post on Facebook of our family all kind of getting in on the act and all kind of helping shovel and we were having fun in the snow and all that kind of stuff. She wasn't complaining, but she was just saying, it's so nice that we're out as a family shoveling the driveway together. Later that afternoon, I get a text from a friend and it's a picture of a brand spanking new snowblower. And he says, I felt God tell me to get you this, and it's literally just sitting on your driveway, I want you to have it. Someone gifted us, a friend gifted us with a brand new snowblower, which was the coolest thing. And it's great that we got a new snowblower, but the cooler thing was that he was just obedient to what God asked him to do, which was, I just felt God say, like, you need to give them a snowblower. And so they did. And so let me tell you, a few days later, we had a snowstorm, of course. And I was so excited to, to get my new snowblower out onto the driveway. And so I opened my shed, and I dragged that thing onto the driveway. And, and as soon as I got on my driveway, I looked around at all the other houses that were blowing their snow, and I stuck my chest out, and I pushed this thing. Hey, guys! Look what I got! I got myself one of those machines that you're using! 
And I was so proud. And man, I topped that thing up with the most expensive gasoline. And I pushed that primer like it was the belly of the Pillsbury Doughboy with pride. And I grabbed that starter cord. And I just reamed on that thing as hard as I could. And all of a sudden you hear that boom, 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 boom. But it didn't start. So I was like, well, I mean, I'm sure no dude really gets it on the first try, right? So I pulled that thing again, boom, 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 nothing. And so I kind of stood back and I, and I looked. I was like, all right, well, what am I, what am I doing wrong? And so I, I tried it again and I tried it a few more times. And I was like, oh, uh, then I checked the gas tank again. And then I pushed the primer a few more times, and I'm thinking, what on earth am I doing wrong? And my shoulder's starting to hurt because I'm pulling on that thing so hard. My son looks at me. He's like, Dad, like, do you, do you want to give me a tr- do you want me to give it a try? And I was like, Pfft. like, come on, seriously, my eight-year-old son. Dad, let me try. Fine, Noah. And so I'm kind of standing back, and I'm thinking, like, there's no way. I did everything right. And the friend who, who gave me this thing gave me the instructions of everything to do, and I did everything. I followed the plan, and I'm just thinking there's nothing that I've done wrong here. And my son got, see, he just sees that I'm coming to a boiling point. We're about, we're out there like 15 or 20 minutes, and then we cannot get this thing started. And so I said, well, before you try, Noah, let's just try to, to start it with the electrical cord. So he grabbed the extension cord and plugged it into the house, and then into the snowblower, and I press the button, and you can hear the boom, 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 and it's going, and it's going, but it's not turning over. It's not working, and so I'm getting really frustrated. I'm biting my lips so I don't say anything in front of my eight-year-old son. Is dad, can I try it now? Well, sure, no. And so he grabs the cord, and he tries on his first time, and nothing happens. All while I'm standing back watching and, and praying, dear God, Please do not let this child outshine me. <laughs> I'm praying so fervently. God, do not let this kid start this snowblower. And it didn't happen. He didn't do it. And so I was like, <laughs> told you. It's a man's job. And so then, of course, I did, had to do the most embarrassing thing I could think of, which is why I had to text my friend and say, look, look man, I, I know you gave me the instructions, but it's just not working. He's like, well, all right, I'll come right over. So he drove over in the snowstorm, and we were very grateful, very grateful. So he came over, and we stood around this thing, and we're thinking, well, everything looks right. Everything's going, going correctly, and he was not there for 15 seconds, and he looks up at me with the most sincere and compassionate eyes. He says, Jamie, where's the key? And I may or may not have said things that I had to explain to my son later, But here's the thing, sometimes we just can't do life without other people. Now, I could have Googled how to get my snowblower started, but Google wasn't going to come to my house and explain to me that I was a moron who forgot to put the key into the snowblower. It wasn't going to do that. And so sometimes we just need people who are wise and have expertise. We need people who can just speak into our lives and just tell us, what's going on. We need those people. It's the same thing with us as Christians. You don't have to do faith. You have to do faith for yourself, but you cannot do it by yourself. We need community and people in our lives to help us get through some stuff. And there are situations in your life 
There is sin in your life. There, there are things that have happened in the past that you just don't know what to do about. And we need people to be able to speak into our lives to get us through some of those things, to help us explain some things. And so community is huge for us as a church. Not just here at Crosspoint, but any church needs community. That's what it's all about. You think about God for a moment. God is a trinity. We're all familiar with the trinity. Yes, God is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. God is a community in Himself. God understands community because He is a community. This is what it says in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So the Spirit of God is also there with Father God in creation, Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So who is God referring to when he says us? Well, he's referring to the Trinity. He's referring to Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But where is Jesus? Let's go to John 1 in this creation account. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And who is the Word? South Campus, who is the Word? Right. Jesus and Spirit Father, they're all there in the creation account. So they get community. They are a community in and of themselves. And then we have Jesus. Jesus who was here on earth with us for a number of years. And he had a community of guys that he hung out with all the time. That he laughed with. That he taught. That he ate with. That he cried with. And so he had this ragtag group of 12 guys who he did life with. It was his community. And they were not perfect people. His community was not a group of perfect guys. There were a group of brothers who constantly fought with themselves and fought each other over who was better. Then there was Peter, the guy with the short fuse, who even denied knowing Jesus later on. And then there was Judas, who we all know, with the greedy guy who basically sold Christ out. His community was not the cleanest of people. Yet he had community because he knew he needed community in order to teach, in order to do miracles. He had these people who he wanted to teach about himself and about Father God. And so I want you guys to turn to Luke 24, starting at verse 13. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to go through um, a story of Christ where I think he just speaks to us so um, so well on the importance of community. But before we go through this, I want to pray for us because sometimes it's really hard for us to jump right into what God is asking us to do. Some of us, even though Jesus says some things about certain things, sometimes we just don't like to do it. And I believe in this word that God has prepared for us tonight. I believe in this are going to be some really hard things for us to think about, about the community that you're involved in, the, the group of people that you surround yourself with, 
whether or not you're in a connect group, because this series is kind of coinciding with the launch of our connect groups. Who are you doing life with? Who is in your community? Who is speaking into your life? And so I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for kind of a spirit of receiving God's word. Can we do that? God, we thank you so much for your word and its power. We believe that it is living and breathing and for us today. We, we believe that your word has the power to change hearts, to change lives, to transform people, to make us better and your kingdom bigger. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen. amen. Well, in Luke 24, where we're at is, uh, this is actually the afternoon of Christ's resurrection. And so that morning, at the beginning of Luke 24, Mary, Mary, and Joe, and some of the other followers of Christ, they want to go and visit Jesus' tomb. And they get there, and they show up, and they know that the tomb has been opened, that the stone has been rolled away, and they meet these two angels, and they says, look, guys, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but he's not here. However, he's alive. And he's walking around. And so this is, we don't know where Jesus is, but we do know what happens starting at verse 13 of Luke 24. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. That's 11 kilometers for you Canadians. And they walked along. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And so we know that during Christ's death was the celebration of Passover. So everyone has come into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And while they were there, all this stuff happened with Christ. They, 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 uh, they charged him. They condemned him to death. They, they beat him. They spat on him. They humiliated him and they killed him. And then they hear this rumor that Jesus is no longer in his tomb, and they don't know what's going on. And so these, all these people, these followers of Christ, have a heavy heart. And some of them are just, their hopes are completely dashed because they thought Jesus was the Messiah, the guy who was going to straighten everything out for them. And so they're all walking home. They're literally walking away from Jerusalem. Emmaus is seven miles, 11 kilometers away from Jerusalem. And so they're all walking home with, with heavy hearts. And what's important about that is that while they're walking home, they should be staying in their community of people and grieve with them. They, they should be talking about this with their community. And they, they should be, uh, ha have broken hearts together as followers of Christ. Yet these two happen to be walking away from the community that's there to help them. See, when we're so focused on our own problems, sometimes we begin to distance ourselves away from our community. We, get to, we begin to distance ourselves away from the group of people who, who are available to speak into our lives, to try and solve things on our own without a community is not how we can continue to grow in Christ. You cannot grow in Christ without the body of Christ. That is the church. Verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. One of the most frustrating things, I would say, about being a follower of Christ is 
knowing God's will for my life. Can you agree with that? Amen? One of the most frustrating things for us is, is knowing what God wants for us next. What do I do after school? Well, what, who, who, do you want me to marry this person? Do I leave my career to, to run after this opportunity? When do we have kids? How many? God, what is it that you want me to do? We've all asked these kinds of questions. And while we ask these questions, sometimes people will come up to us and they will give out their opinion. And they will say, well, this is what I think about it. Or this is what scripture says. And we get to in this mindset of, I don't really care what you think. I want to hear from God. Like, I, I just I want to hear what God says to me. I want to audibly hear from God what he wants me to do. But here's the problem is that sometimes God doesn't want to speak to you that way. Sometimes God wants to speak to somebody else who will speak to you. And if we're walking away from a community, and if we're ignoring what people are saying to us, then we may even miss what God has for us in the first place. Because God wants to use other people to speak his word into our lives. That's just how he does things. Only once in my life, I felt God audibly speak to my spirit. I mean, I don't mean audibly spoke to my ears, but he audibly spoke to my spirit, and it was one word. But that doesn't happen very often. More often than not, God has used people to speak into my life at the weirdest, most inopportune times. I remember when I started here at Crosspoint about six years ago, doing student ministry. I started on May 1st, and I think in mid-June, we had a service here, a baccalaureate service, which is basically like a church service for Christian grade 12 students that are moving on. That's essentially what it is. And I was a month and a half into student ministry, had no idea what I was doing. No idea what I was doing. And I found myself here in this service, and the guest speaker was none other than Candy Ingram. And she got up, her bubbly self, and she got up here and she preached like a four or five minute sermon. And I was like, what? Like, that's not going to do anything. And what she did next was mind boggling to me. She pulled out a children's book and began to read this children's book to this group of graduating grade 12 students. And I thought in my head, like, they're going to throw tomatoes at her. Like this woman is reading a kid's book, a children's book to these graduating students, these people who are about to go off into adulthood. And she, be, she continued to read this book. And when she got to the end, she began to sum it up. And she said, in the, I read this book to my boys. She has got three boys. I read this book to them when they were little. And to sum it up, the word that she spoke to the students was the simplest, most profound things I've ever heard and sticks to me to this day. She told her boys every day, people are so much more important than things. And, and I don't know, I can't go back to that day and tell you how I was feeling, but I can tell you this, I remember that story in that moment. I remember that quote, and it just set the course for my ministry that day. And I felt like I just knew my purpose all of a sudden. And it was from a children's book. The most, uh, one of the most simplest lines is, was so profound to me in that moment. 
that God chose to use someone to speak into my life. And I will tell you what, every day when I drop my kids off at school, and every night when my wife and I pray with them, we tell them, just remember, people are more important than things. And I hope that my kids tell my grandkids that someday, and I hope we all live it. And I hope that you will let people say the most profound things in your life when you get yourself into a community. Because that's how God wants to work. He wants to use other people to speak into your life. Because sometimes we just chalk up God's voice in our spirit to our conscience. When we hear God speak to us, we just tend to think, oh, that's just probably just me thinking through things. No, that might be God speaking to you. And so sometimes what he does is he chooses to use other people to speak into your life because you just don't know how to hear God in your spirit. Let's go to verse 17. Jesus asked them, what, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked, which is hilarious because they're talking about him and what's happened to him. They're talking to Jesus about what happened to Jesus, and they have no idea it's him. Well, things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. He had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb this morning. And they came back with this amazing report. They said that the body was missing. They said they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see it, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. It's just so unbelievable that they don't actually believe it. And then comes one of my favorite lines in Jesus' ministry. He says, you dummies. Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all, the prophets wrote in the, all, all what all the prophets wrote in the scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning him. These two aren't connecting the dots. They grew up in a community of people who knew the Old Testament. They, they, they grew up knowing the prophecies. They would have known and expected the Messiah to come at one day, and Jesus shows up. And they say, I think this is the guy. Like, I think this is, this is Messiah. Like, I'm fairly certain. And then he dies, and three days later, he rises again. They're like, well, what happened? Like, nothing has changed for us. And Jesus walks with them for a few miles to help them connect the dots. This is what those prophecies meant. Do you get it? Do you see? I realize you guys don't know everything. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person on your left, and I want you to say, I don't know everything. Do it, South Campus, go right ahead. I don't know everything. And now, good, good, that's, that's good. That's only half the story. Now you have to look 
at the person on your right, and you have to say, I don't know everything, but I know more than you. <laughs> Notice my wife isn't standing up here with me. But doesn't that feel good? Doesn't, doesn't just feel like the weight of the world is off your shoulders now that you could admit to everybody that you don't know everything. We have Oilers fans in the house. They don't know everything. <laughs> they don't know everything. So it's good for us to admit that because there are people in our lives who do know some things and know more than us on certain subjects. Some people know to put a key in the ignition of a snowblower before you try to start it. Right? And so uh, I read this article recently about Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mark Zuckerberg is the guy who created Facebook. He's a Harvard-educated billionaire who started Facebook. And uh, this past year, what he's been doing is he, he's given his whole year to travel. And part of his year is to travel to every state in the U.S. and, and learn a little bit about their people and their culture. Recently, and this was just a few weeks ago, and you can read about it online, he went to Waco, Texas. And when he got there, he wanted to gather a few pastors and church leaders in the area. And what he did is he sat them down, and he, he hardly said a word. He, he wasn't there to, to try to sell them anything. He wasn't there to try to teach them anything. He sat these pastors down, and he looked them in the eye and said, please, teach me something about community. He said, I, I want to know what it means to be part of a church community. Well, what does community mean to you? Now think about this for a second. Facebook is the largest online community we've ever seen in all of human history. Facebook is the largest social network of people that has ever existed. The guy who created the biggest online community, the biggest community of people in the world is sitting down with church leaders and he's saying, guys, tell me what you think about community. Is there, is there not any irony in that? Well, it's because we don't know everything. Even the guy who created the biggest community in the world is looking at church leaders saying, please, is it teach me what it means to be community because we don't know it all. And sometimes we just need to admit that to ourselves and we need to sit down with people and say, what does this mean to you? What does this scripture mean to you? I don't get it. Help me understand why this is happening in my life. Help me understand why I keep running to this sin, why I keep running to these certain things in my life. And we need people to sit down with them and tell us what they think. That's what communities are for. And so Jesus walks with these two for miles, and he begins to tell them everything that he knows about connecting the dots of prophecy to what it means to be the Messiah. And that's because you cannot grow in Christ without the body of Christ. You need people around you, surrounding you, speaking the things that you don't know into your life. Luke 24, 20, uh, starting at verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of the journey, 
Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, like it's getting late. So we went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Uh, Pastor Mark mentioned this last week, but we've got these connect groups that we're trying to encourage you guys all to jump in. You all need to find a connect group, a community of people to do life with. And he said last week, and I will reiterate it today, is that sometimes the point of the group has nothing to do with the topic of discussion. Sometimes connect groups are good. If if you uh, need financial help in your life, we have groups for that. If your marriage just needs that little something, we have groups for that. But sometimes the groups have nothing to do with a topic of discussion at all. Sometimes the most important thing that you can do is sit down at a table and eat with people and laugh and cry and just get to know people better. Sometimes eating a meal and just sitting with people is the absolute best community that you can have in your life. And that's what Jesus is doing He's continuing the conversation with these, these two. He's continuing the conversation. And he's just, let's just sit down. Let's, let's eat and we'll drink and we'll continue to talk about this more. Sometimes it's good just to sit around a table with one another. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him And at that moment, he disappeared. Think about that for a sec. They get home after this long walk. And after Jesus has taken them through the whole Old Testament, and he's taken them through what it means to uh, have the Messiah here with them now and what that that sacrifice meant. And he grabs Uh, the wine, and he pours them all a glass, and he grabs a loaf of bread, and he prays for it, and as he breaks it, he begins to hand out pieces of this loaf to people, and they look at his hands, and they see some recent bruises, and they see this flesh wound, this fresh wound on his wrists, and they see that he had some scars, and then in that moment, They recognize Christ because of his scars. One of the most important things for our our community of people is to be vulnerable with one another. Sometimes your mess and what you've been through, sometimes your scars can can just speak into the life of somebody else. Sometimes what you've gone through and what you've experienced can speak into somebody's life. Sometimes the scars that you have, whether they're physical or mental or spiritual, sometimes your scars can help somebody else. And in this moment, they see Jesus' scars, and they they all all of a sudden just recognize him. And then they look up at his face, and he gives a really quick smirk, and then bang, he's gone. Sometimes when we're vulnerable with one another, when we show other people our scars, people begin to recognize Christ in us. They recognize the battle that we've been through. And these connect groups that we're trying to tell you guys about, these are places, safe places, for you to be able to do that. And maybe it's not your scars. Maybe it's just your story that you feel like you need to share. 
And your story can change someone's life. Connect groups aren't about um, us just trying to get some people to do church outside these walls. Connect groups are about you getting into a community of people to share with, to be vulnerable with, to trust in, to do life with. Surround yourself with people who share in your, your, your lack of faith, the people who have the same doubts as you. Share with the people who have, have similar uh, faith issues. Maybe, maybe you're just you're upset with people. Maybe you're upset with the church. Maybe it's relationships in your life. Share those things with one another because someone will learn from it. Someone can learn from your story. Someone can learn from your mistakes. You can learn from someone's story, and you can learn from someone's mistakes. You can learn from someone's scar, and God can use them to speak into your life, and God will use you to speak into somebody else's life. That's what these groups are all about. That's why it's so important for us to gather around a community of people because Jesus has been merciful to you. Share that with others. Because Jesus has healed you, share that with others. Because Jesus has redeemed you, share that with others. Because he's been faithful to you, share that with others. When we do that, we get better, and the kingdom gets bigger, and we all win. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the strength of your word. We thank you for the power that it holds for us. If we just listen to what your word wants to teach us tonight. If we just listen to what your word wants to do and transform us, God, amazing things can happen. So God, call us to be there for one another. Call us into to specific groups to speak into specific people's lives. God, may our mess be a message for somebody else. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you are going to do through connect groups. We thank you for what you are doing at both campuses. We thank you for what you are doing through the conversations that happen every day in believers' lives. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and what you will continue to do. And it's the name of Jesus Christ. We all agreed and said? Amen. Amen.